I would like you to uh, join me, uh, take your Bible, if you will, and, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 through 12 tonight. And uh, while, you're tur- uh, while you're turning there to 1 Peter 1, I, I just want to uh, really thank everyone for coming out tonight. It, it's such an encouragement to my soul, uh, and, and I know for John as well. Um, to see people who have, have such a heart, who, who would have such a passion and, and a desire to spend their evening in, in, in Christ's church and to, and to give him honor and to worship him uh, through both the singing and, and the preaching and proclamation of his word. Uh, I'm going to ask you, if you are able to, to please stand with me for the reading of the word of God. Reading once again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, why don't you join me in prayer? Father God, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for the privileges and the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, for those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the spotless lamb who lived a perfect and righteous life that we could not attain to, dear God, who at every moment where we were tempted and failed, he tempted and and prevailed, dear God. Father God, I, I just pray that in this service tonight and in all that transpires, from the singing, from the preaching, to the fellowship that we share, dear God, I just pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, Dear Lord, I pray that, that by your spirit and by your grace, that the truth of your word, the glorious realities that we see in your word would be made known to us, would be clear to us, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate what he has intended to be communicated with what he's written down. Dear God, that this truth would enter in through our minds and, and down into our hearts. Lord, that when we leave this building tonight, Father, that, that our attitudes, that our actions, that our outlooks would be transformed with your powerful word, dear God, that we would live to your glory anew with what we learn here tonight. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that I pray, amen. You may be seated. The salvation of the souls of sinners is among the most blessed and precious works that God does in this world. How how sweet is it to know, if if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that all of your sins have been paid for in totality on the cross. 
that it is not something that you earn or work for, but that God gives people by his grace. Now, now does, that, does that not delight you? Does that not give you happiness? Does that not give you joy? How sweet and precious is God's sovereign and free grace where he, he looks at sinners and he knows every sin he, that they ever have and that they ever will commit and yet knowing this decides to save them and that he is the one who accomplishes all of this and that it is applied to you simply by your faith in him, by your trusting in him. Now the longer that you take what I'm saying here, and the longer that you think about it, the more that you, that you dwell on it, the more it will be inspiration for meditation and devotion. Because when we are talking about this, when we're talking about salvation, we are talking about a most lovely thing, a most sweet thing, a most precious thing, a most dear and cherished thing. There is, there is such great hope. There, there is such great wonder. There is such great joy to be found in what God has done for his people. His grace is a most treasurable matter to consider. And I pray that through the pages of scripture that, that God the Holy Spirit would lead us to contemplate this divine and glorious reality tonight. And so of course we're back again uh, continuing our series, our verse by verse series through 1 Peter. Now, the beauty of, of going verse by verse through a book of the Bible is, is you get to see the moving flow of the text, how each thing said builds upon what was said before it, and how it all fits into one context. And, and we're not just, just grabbing verses that we like here and there, but we are allowing God, who speaks through his word, to speak to us as he intends. And now, to give you a brief reminder of what we've covered before, here in chapter 1, Peter has, from the outset, exploded with deep doctrine, with heartwarming theology from the get-go. He speaks of the living hope that God has caused us to be born again to. And in verses 6 and 7, which Brother John covered last week, Peter tells us how the blessings that all true Christians receive from God empower us to rejoice amidst the various trials that we go through in life. We read, So that the, testedness, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter will speak more practically about the application of these matters later, but for now he is content to just remind us, just, just to point our gaze heavenward to contemplate the glorious and unspeakable reality that is the gospel of the grace of God, accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, now, now far too often, I believe we are so concerned with the here and the now. I see men getting all out of shape and worked up about their politics on Facebook. I, I see people infatuated with small, trivial things. I hear people rave for hours on end about some TV show or some pop artist, but I do not hear Christians overflowing with devotion to Jesus Christ. We, we come to church and, and, and we want to hear how to live a better life, or we want to hear some preacher's take on the latest uh, development in politics that the news media is trying to force down your throat, or, or some other trite thing. 
But when's the last time you came to church and you heard someone say, Pastor, won't you tell me about Jesus Christ? Preacher, won't you tell me who God is? Now, now my sincere prayer is that through the text of Scripture, we are gathered here tonight to observe God the Holy Spirit would illuminate to us this divine truth and that we would all be led by Him to have deeper affection, greater love to God through the Holy Spirit for what He's done for us in Jesus Christ. That the majestic wonders of what God has done for his people would help us to cease our obsession with the things of this world. And that we would look up to heaven and and say, God, nothing else matters but you. Nothing is more precious and more sweet to my soul than the amazing works that you have done for your people and what, what you have revealed to us in your written word. And so in verse 8... What I want you to look at, uh, what we find there, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, if you have your Bible open on your lap or on your phone, however you want to do it, uh, you can look at the end of verse 7 there and and understand plainly that in verse 8, Peter is talking about the precious Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Now, there's a clever thing that God is doing there with that verse. So Peter, he's writing at at a unique time when there were indeed those like him who had actually seen the historical Jesus Christ. But after the resurrection, after the ascension of Christ, when the gospel goes out to be proclaimed to people of all nations the vast majority of the people that the apostles were preaching to had never seen Jesus. And and so the people to whom Peter is writing, uh, unlike him, they had never seen Jesus. But but not only is God speaking to those people through Peter's writing, God is also speaking to us. Now, not only have we never seen Jesus, you and I, but we come 2,000 years after almost anyone had. And and so what am I trying to, to get at here with this? Well, Though we have not seen him, we love him. You see, our love for Jesus Christ is based upon the Spirit of God working inside of our hearts, and and it is not based on any physical or external or outward thing. There were people who saw Jesus with their eyes and, and, and literally with their own ears heard him preach, heard the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, and never believed in him. You can think of Judas, who walked with Jesus a number of years and yet betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, why does that happen? Well, because love for Jesus Christ is dependent not upon our worldly or physical surroundings, not, for instance, because we grew up in church or, or something like that, but it is rooted in an internal spiritual reality that God brings about in us. And so now I want to draw your attention to what Peter is is saying here. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. You see, Peter is addressing believers here. And in the very same verse, he says that you believe in him. And and so when he says you love him, he, he is not merely saying what Christians ought to be doing. He is saying what Christians are doing. The phrase is present tense. You love him. The person who truly has faith loves Jesus Christ. As as 
Calvin has said, faith is not a cold notion, but rather it kindles in our hearts love to Jesus Christ. You see, if you're a believer, you love Jesus Christ. There's no way around that. And if you do not love Jesus Christ, you're not a believer. Now, I don't wish to be misunderstood. We all go through times of great spiritual struggles where the devil and his angels are raging against us and our hearts and minds are so clouded with discouragements that it can be hard to recognize this. But it is true that if you're a believer, you love Jesus Christ. If indeed you be in Christ, you love him. We don't love him as we should, as we grow, as we mature in our Christian life. Our love for Jesus will grow over time. But what we are seeing in this, this text of Scripture is that love exists in the heart of the true Christian for Jesus. When a Christian who has been born again by the Spirit of God hears or thinks about Christ, his heart or her heart is moved towards the light and happiness because Christ is their treasure. Now, moving on, Peter goes on in this verse to say, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Notice again how Peter emphasizes that we do not see physically Jesus, though you do not see him, do not now see him is what he says. And so what we are seeing again, just to remind you, is that the things Peter is talking about are not grounded in physical things, but rather Spiritual realities are what he's penning here. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ not only love him, but rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, just as I qualified when I was talking about love, when we read that Christians rejoice, we have to understand that throughout our lives, as we face trials, as we battle against sin, our rejoicing can wax and wane. After all, we are told in 1 Thessalonians to rejoice always. Now, we would not need to be told to love God, which is the greatest commandment. We would not need to be told to rejoice always if these were things that came naturally. They do not. They do not come naturally, but they come supernaturally. You see, they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who enables you and empowers you to love Jesus Christ will enable and empower you to rejoice in all that God has done for you. And so listen to this that Peter says. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. My dear Christian, you need to hear this. You need to relish in this message. You need to console your soul with this truth. We rejoice. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, that is filled with glory. Because no matter what's going on in our lives, the trials that we are going through, the ever-changing political and social landscape we live in, regardless, no matter what, we, Christians, believers, whom God has caused to be born again to a living hope, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, have a glorious joy to rejoice in. We have wonders of majestic and divine proportions to give us delight, to give us satisfaction, to give us 
hope to give us joy. And I hope that this sounds exciting to you. I hope that this is, this is stirring up your heart. As you sit there in the pews, you just want to cry out, Yes, Logan, tell us about this joy. And I just sort of have to stand here and blush and say, Well, I can't. It's inexpressible. Joy unspeakable, as the old King James puts it. And now, I've talked to some of you in private about this before, but this is, this is sort of like when the task of, of preaching becomes almost embarrassing. It's like God is so great, his truth is so profound and perplexing that the realities contained in the Bible are, are far beyond my or anyone else's ability to even use language. You see, the, the joy that Christians have, that we are to rejoice in, literally cannot be expressed, cannot be explained in words. The sweet peace of God and, and the glories of his grace exceed all human comprehension. The only way for me to explain this joy to you is simply to explain that I can't explain it. Now, although Peter confesses that we cannot comprehend this vast and incredible joy, he does go on to say that it is, quote, filled with glory. Now, for something to be filled with glory, in the sense that Peter is using that phrase, means that it is, it is filled with grandeur. It is clothed in splendor. The joy we are talking about it is all-consuming. It will overwhelm you. It will overpower you. It will leave you speechless. It's inexpressible. It's an unspeakable joy filled with glory. Now, this is the spectacular picture that Peter is painting for us in verse 8. That Christians have a deep love, a deep affection for Christ. That contained in the spiritual blessings God has bestowed upon his children, they have joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now once again, if this is true of you, then what need do you ever have to let the, the trite things of this world cause you discouragement? Or even worse, why would you want to find your delight, find your passion in the perishing things of this earth? Don't waste your life living for money or for yourself or for pleasure, but live for Jesus Christ, who gives joy unspeakable and filled with glory. As the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, has said, he who has such a diamond of heaven as joy unspeakable and full of glory casts away the pebble stones of earth with which he was pleased before. Verse 9, as we continue, we read, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, although the joy I have just spoken of is admittedly inexpressible, that's, that's what it says, it is still a joy that is rooted in and connected to something. It's not just some vague feeling of emotion that's just sort of out there somewhere. No, no, no. There's, there, there's truth to this. There's, there's facts and there's historical uh, basis in reality that this joy is connected to. You see, Peter immediately follows up our rejoicing with obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, Peter is reminding us to direct all of our thoughts all of our attention to our eternal salvation. The everlasting, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading spiritual blessings that we who by the grace of God have come to faith in Jesus Christ have. 
you know, the devil is the lord of this world, and there are so many things that he uses to entrap and ensnare our minds and our affections by whether it's the various trials that we experience or even the various allurements and temptations that we go through. By whatever means necessary, our adversary, who is the God of this present age, wants to take our minds off the things of Christ, off the things of God, off of our blessed salvation, and he wants us to be focused on this temporary life. Now, he might use struggles to discourage you, or he might use pleasure to distract you. Whatever it is, the Apostle Peter, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, exhorts us to focus our attention on the eternal salvation of our souls. Don't you know that, that God is holy? Don't you know that we were born in sin? That the natural man is at enmity with God and rebels against him? Don't you realize that time and time again we pitiful creatures have mocked and sinned against our Creator? And don't you realize that because of this we deserve the horrifying wrath of God? That our part ought to be in the lake of fire forever? But, oh, don't you, don't you realize what the blessed God of all creation has done? How he has sent his very own son into the world to suffer and die for sinners for the very purpose that all those who believe in him will never perish but will have everlasting life, that they would be redeemed from their sin, that they would be set free from the bondage of sin. Truly, I, I tell you, if, if today you hear my voice and you have not entered into the glorious grace of God by faith in Christ Jesus, I bid you come. For he stands now with open arms wide to receive all who will believe in him. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Come to Jesus Christ. Lay your burden, lay your sin at his feet. Give him your love. Rejoice in him with a joy that is unspeakable and is filled with inexpressible glory. For the salvation of one's soul is the most precious thing any of us can ever receive. And so this is the central point of this text. This is the main point of this passage. Peter here, he is contemplating the inexpressible glory of salvation. And so that's what verses 8 through 12 are all about. And so in these next few verses, Peter is going to give us some incredible insights into the nature of just how tremendous our salvation truly is. And so if you look at verse 10, you'll read... Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now, verse 10 opens with the phrase, concerning this salvation. What Peter is, is doing here is he is demonstrating just how great, just how magnificent our salvation truly is. He has already said that we have a joy inexpressible and filled with glory, and he has said that that joy was found in our salvation through Jesus Christ. And so now he is just kind of Backing up what he's already said, he has said, essentially, salvation is so great. Now, let me just give you a glimpse of how great it truly is. So the first thing he says is, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Peter here speaks of the prophets of Old Testament times, those who received revelation from God and, and spoke his truth to the people of their day. And Peter says that they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. 
Now what this means is that the object of their prophesying, the subject of what it is that they were speaking, was the revelation of Jesus Christ. When God the Son would become man and live a human life and carry out his divine work. For people in the Old Testament times, they were saved in the same way we are, by trusting in God and his word. But you see, we who have come after the dawn of of this new covenant age, after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, after Pentecost and and these things, we have been given, you and I, so much more light, so much more knowledge about God and, and about God's plan and how God has saved us. You see, unlike the Old Testament prophets that Peter's talking about, you know, you and I have the Gospels, the four Gospels. We, we can read the inspired word which, which tells us about the life and work of Jesus. And so it is this life and work of Jesus that the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about. Now, over and over again in the life of Jesus, we hear him saying things like, Moses wrote of me. Or that the law, the prophets, the Psalms are written about me. Jesus began his ministry by reading from the prophet Isaiah and declaring, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Why? Well, because Jesus is the fulfillment. He was the very one whom Isaiah was speaking of. He was the very one that has been prophesied from Genesis all throughout the Old Testament. And so here's sort of the problem that we face in our day. Uh, I realize that most Christians do not associate love and joy, all all those things that we were just talking about before. Most Christians, most non-believers even, don't associate those kind of things with the Old Testament. You see, sadly, so many people have this idea that, you know, Old Testament God is the mean guy and New Testament Jesus is nice. And, and, And look, I just have to say, if that's your understanding of things, then you're going to have a very lopsided appreciation for the Bible that's been passed down to you. You must realize that there is a great unity in the Bible. That when Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, that includes the Old Testament. Remember, the reason Peter is saying all of these things is to help us understand and appreciate the unspeakable joy that is our salvation. And he is saying that an understanding of the Old Testament prophets of old will help us to appreciate that joy of our salvation. Now, Jesus affirmed over and over again in his life that the subject of what we call the Old Testament was him. And so here Peter is saying that the prophets prophesied about, quote, grace that was to be yours. Now, what he follows this up with is that these prophets searched and inquired carefully. Although they did not know about Jesus, what we know about Jesus, the manner in which God would demonstrate his grace uh, was of great interest to these Old Testament prophets. You see, it, it occupied their thoughts. It occupied their contemplation. You know, what these men would have given to have the four Gospels. And yet we Christians who have had access to them our whole lives often leave them so neglected. But the glories of the Messiah greatly occupied those saints of old. This was of great interest to them. And as a matter of fact, we get an illustration of this in Luke chapter 2 with, of the man Simeon. If, if you remember this, uh, what is said there, 
Simeon was a, was a righteous and devout man, eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel, that is, how God would save his people. And, and this is something that he thought about with great intensity. And then when he sees Jesus as a child, joy overwhelmed him as he picked up the child and said many great, many lovely things about him. And, and so this is just an illustration to you of, of how much the revelation of Jesus Christ, even though thousands of, or hundreds of years before he was born, of how much interest it was to the Old Testament prophets, just as it was Simeon. We read that the prophets searched and inquired carefully. The subject was of such great interest to them. And uh, in one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, we get to read a man named Agur's meditation on the very subject. Now, I have to be careful here because when I read this passage, I, I might be tempted to preach a whole sermon just on this. And um, if you were in Sunday school with me this morning, you know I'll do that. So I'll, I'll try and restrain myself. But what we read, and this is coming from Proverbs chapter 30, uh, we read, The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Now, now time does not permit me to go through all of that. But essentially, here we have this man, Agur. He, he is contemplating wisdom. He is contemplating spiritual things. And he realizes that the fulfillment of wisdom has something to do with the name of God's Son. But he just, he just, he just can't reach it. He just can't figure it out. He searches. He inquires carefully into the grace that was to be revealed in Jesus Christ. Why? Oh, because it was so important to him. It was so grand. It was so fascinating and astonishing to him. Now, the application, the point that Peter is trying to make here in verse 10 is this. Christian, do you not realize that the grace that has been revealed to you and which you partake in was of such deep and profound interest to the great prophets of old? Now, if they did not know half what you know about Jesus Christ, and yet were so delighted in inquiry about him and searching about him, how can you, who have been given so much, who know so much, not rejoice far beyond what even they were able to? And so continuing to, in verse 11, we read, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. When, when he says, when Peter says, inquiring what person or time, well, that has to do with the same things that we were just talking about. In what manner was God going to accomplish his redemptive purposes? And they knew clearly that it was going to involve a person, their Messiah, and so Peter says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Now, the Spirit of Christ here, this is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is not to be understood as, as 
this person is the same as Christ. The Spirit is a distinct person from the Son, both God. And so when we read the Spirit of Christ, this is simply saying that the Holy Spirit, who is not Christ, was speaking about Christ to the Old Testament prophets. For we read, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. To put that in my own words, the Holy Spirit, through the prophets, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so let's just kind of talk about what we're reading there. The, the reality that the Holy Spirit was communicating to and working through the prophets needs no more explanation than what Peter says in his second epistle, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here Peter indicates uh, two specific things that were being spoken of. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, the sufferings of Christ are plainly seen in the Old Testament. We have passages like, like Psalm 22, where the crucifixion is described in eerie detail hundreds of years before it took place. It says things like, I am poured out like water, and my bones are all out of joint. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, reflecting on this psalm is incredible, as you realize that God had prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the key point where atonement for sins is made and sinners are reconciled to God, an event so important and has become the symbol of our Christian faith, and God is talking to us about it hundreds of years before it ever happened. And for many people, this serves as one of the great proofs that the Bible is truly the spoken word of God, that it is truly the inspired word of God. And to look at another passage in Zechariah, we read that the people of Israel were looking on him whom they have pierced. Now, if we went through every Old Testament passage which, which spoke about the sufferings of Christ, we'd be here all night, which I'm sure you'd be fine with. But perhaps the most famous and, and beloved Old Testament passage which pertains to this is Isaiah 53, where we read that the suffering servant, despised and rejected by men, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. A moving passage which will stir up your emotions when you contemplate what it is that Jesus Christ went through to redeem his people. But that's just it. Through his suffering come subsequent glories. For Peter here in our text has said the Spirit of Christ in them predicted not just the sufferings of Christ, but also the subsequent glories. Those glories come through his suffering. Now, if we go back to those same three Old Testament passages which I just mentioned, we will see how through the suffering of Christ, God brings about glories for his people. Psalm 22, after describing the horrific abuse Christ went through, says in verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Zechariah not only says that the Jews will look on him whom they have pierced, but in the very same section goes on to say that on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. 
And lastly, Isaiah 53, which tells of the suffering Christ went through, says, by his wounds we are healed. For the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he bore the sins of many. Folks, this is why we need to appreciate the Old Testament that's been given to us. For the very Old Testament scriptures were written about our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so just to remind you, uh, remember what Peter is doing in this section of his letter. He is encouraging us to reflect on just how great, just how amazing our salvation truly is. For not only was the grace that was revealed in Jesus Christ the subject of careful inquiry and the searching of Old Testament prophets, but this very subject, this very grace was also the subject of their prophesying. That the grace is, that is revealed in Jesus Christ is so amazing that it is the subject of thousands of years of divine revelation. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, our, our first parents, fell into sin, having been tempted by Satan, one of the first things that God did was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now continuing, look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I, I really love what Peter says there at the beginning of verse 12, because it just confirms so much of what I've been expressing thus far. He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. God is so loving, and I get that that's a strange thing to follow that verse up with, but, but really, God is so loving. He is so lovely, and, and he loves his, his elect people with such a fascinating and profound love. He, he is so merciful to poor sinners like us and so gracious in how he acts towards us. Look again at what it says at the beginning of verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. You see, God's great plan for so much of what we read in the Old Testament was that we would look back upon it and just see the traces of the glory of Jesus Christ throughout it all. You know, people try and say all the time that the Bible, it's just a human document, that it's just made up by Bronze Age sheep herders, and, and only ignorant and, and stupid people would dare to actually believe the words that are written in it. Well, let me tell you something. Neither Bronze Age sheep herders nor the most advanced intellects alive today were, could be capable of producing what God has in the Bible. All the prophecies, all the glimpses of Christ that were written hundreds of thousands of years before ever Jesus was born could not exist unless the God who created the universe wrote this book. 
And so for us Christians, when we see these things in our Old Testaments, it gives us such great joy for all that God is and all that he has done for us. And that was his plan all along, to give us joy. For the Old Testament prophets who lived and died long before you and I were ever born, they were serving us. They were serving to give us hope, assurance, satisfaction, and joy in what God has done for us. Now Peter goes on. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, now here again we have emphasized the unity that exists throughout the Bible. The things that the prophets of old were prophesying are the very same things being preached to new believers in Jesus Christ. And the same Holy Spirit who was working through those Old Testament prophets is now working through those preaching the good news of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, put your faith in the God of the Bible. In this ever-changing world that we live in, he is the only consistent one. His truth is the only consistent thing. And so then the last part of verse 12 says this, things into which angels long to look. Now, this whole time in, in verses 10 through 12, Peter is just describing how great and glorious the wonders of our salvation are, that they were the subject of great inquiry and prophecy for thousands of years, that all the Hebrew scriptures were focused on the means of our salvation. And now he says, in addition to this, that the things pertaining to our salvation are things into which angels long to look. Angels. Heavenly beings who serve God, who admire God, who worship God, who see more clearly than we do the vast, unsearchable riches of the wonders of the Almighty. These angels, they look at our salvation and they behold how truly incredible it is. They have a desire to see it fulfilled. And yet what's so interesting to realize is that it is something that they themselves cannot experience. For the Lord God in his infinite wisdom has not provided angels with a pathway to redemption when they fall. He has only demonstrated his love in this unique way to humans, to human beings. Now, which, which for one thing, it just ought to cause you to marvel. When you sit back and you contemplate that God did not have to give anyone salvation. He owes none of us his mercy. For he is holy. We have sinned and we deserve his wrath. There would be no injustice in God if he never saved anyone. But yet he did. Yet he did choose to save some. It has pleased the Lord God to look at pitiful, miserable sinners like us who rebelled against him, who have transgressed him, who have broken his law, who have mocked him and slandered him, and he looks at us and he has decided to so work to save us. That, that, is, that is astonishing. And, and I truly wish that that knocked me to my knees more than it does. It is incredible and so too, even the angels are fascinated by this. Now, whoever needs to hear 
what I'm about to say, please listen up. If angels are astonished and fascinated by the glorious salvation that God gives people through Jesus Christ, why aren't you? Why is this not a big deal to you? Why are you so content to be fascinated and enthralled with the small, childish, pathetic things of this world? And yet there is no fascination for Christ in your heart? Why, why, why will we spend hours watching television, looking at social media or some other thing, Do you have no time for Christ Jesus? No, no, no time to look into his word and behold the wonders of his love. Now, now just let us back up for a moment, sort of retrace our steps. I know a lot of things were kind of covered tonight, so I want to help you to grasp everything that's been presented to you from this passage of Holy Scripture. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would imprint the truth of his word into your heart. Peter here is addressing believers. And he is writing about the fact that we who love Christ rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, Peter wants us to gaze towards heaven and to fixate our minds on the magnificent wonders of the salvation God has accomplished for us. It is a joy that is so intense, that is so filled with glory, that words literally cannot describe how great this joy truly is. And so to help us see just how great this joy is, Peter points us. He says, look at the Old Testament prophets. See how the glory of our salvation was manifest in their lives. Then Peter points us to angels to illustrate that our salvation is so amazing that it is much to the delight and fascination of those heavenly hosts, which even they are far beyond our own comprehension. Christians, please remember that no matter what's going on, no, no matter what you are going through, no matter what storms the devil is, is casting your way, you have joy unspeakable. I, I want you to think right now of the greatest hardship that you've ever endured, the, the greatest struggle, the greatest disappointment, the greatest hardship that you've ever gone through. And some of you out there are thinking and saying to me right now, Logan, I've gone through far too many hardships just to name one. I say, okay, that's fine. Put them all together. Put together all of your suffering, everything that you've gone through, divorces, and deaths, and poverty, and sickness, and loneliness, and depression, sin. Put all of these things together into one big bowl and, and just stand back and look at how full it is. Look at how devastating all those things are, the many tears that you have shed. And I say, give them to Christ Jesus, for he reduces them to nothing. Amen. I tell you, Christ has died for sinners. And, and if you are one of those sinners who have been redeemed by his blood, who have been washed in his blood, who have found victory in Christ Jesus, if you have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, you are saved. Amen. All your troubles no longer mean anything. For you have salvation. You, you have it. It is yours. It is yours now, and it cannot be taken away from you. My brothers and sisters, how greatly I, I encourage you to... To find your satisfaction, to find your joy in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, written of in his word. The joy therein is unspeakable, and it is filled with glory. It is a treasure that will not be removed from whoever receives it. 
It, it is far greater than anything that can be conceived of. Words cannot describe how great this joy is. It, it is everlasting. It is eternal. And so I, I would just want to close with this. If there be anyone here tonight or listening online who has not tasted of this glorious salvation, I bid you come. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and trust in him. He is a gracious God and he is mighty and pleased to save. Do not hesitate. Do, do not wait another hour for it is not promised to you. Time is of the essence. You must be born again and you must be reconciled with God and I bid you at this very moment to do so. For eternity is fast approaching. Please, I, I beg of you, come to Jesus and obtain the inexpressible glory of salvation and rest and rely upon his glorious grace and be satisfied in his love for all of eternity. Now won't you please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. Dear God, this is, this is where our hope is found. This is where our satisfaction is made known to us. It, it is not in material things or in money or in pleasure or the sins that used to entertain us so, dear God, but it is in your precious, majestic, wonderful truth that you have written in your word, dear God. Father God, we thank you for the glorious blessing of salvation that we sinners who have mocked you, who have transgressed you, who sinned against you, and who to this day, even after we've been saved, still struggle with sin, dear God, that you've looked upon us, that you've given us salvation. Dear God, let us hold this treasure close in our hearts. Let it, let, let it fuel the way that we live our lives, the way that we speak to others. Dear God, keep our glorious salvation ever present on our minds. Dear God, I just pray that if there be anyone here who does not know you, dear Lord, who has not been reconciled to you through Jesus Christ, Father God, I just pray that by your spirit that you would draw them to you, dear God. And, 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 and if you're here and you're hearing my voice, and if you feel that internal, inward call of God the Spirit bringing you to Christ, I would very much encourage you to respond to that call. Follow the drawing of the Father to the Son, and you will have joy that is inexpressible and is everlasting. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. With that being said, I just, I just want to thank you, everyone, once again for coming out here tonight. It is a great encouragement to me to see everyone gathered to hear the preaching of the word of the Lord. God bless you.